This episode of the Town Tailgate Podcast, what are we talking about, Julio? Well, we're joined by our first guest, our good friend from Manioc, Mr. Mason Livingston. Yuck, too. We're going to be talking about the elephant in the room, the Oakland A's brawl against the Houston Astros in the fallout format, followed by what, Chris? Then we go into deep detail about the lawsuit the A's just filed against the California Department of Toxic Substance Control and their alleged lack of regulation against the Schister Steel uh, Company and their pollution in the West Oakland Bay and how it affects their residents and what the A's motives are moving forward. Then what do we got going on? And finally, we're going to be closing about one of the biggest rivals for the Oakland A's. That's right, folks. It's the Bay Bitch Series time starting this weekend against the San Francisco Giants and followed by a couple games against the Arizona Diamondbacks. But Chris, it's time. Let's throw some hot dogs on the grill. Let's crack open a cold one. Let's get it going, folks. Welcome to the tailgate. First place! We are in first place after a very successful um, stand against the fucking cheaters that are the Houston Astros. Nine-game win streak. Yeah. We're in the first asterisk. place. Julio feels good yeah, to be yeah, in yeah. first place. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, yeah, it's, um, it's weird because if you listen to last week, we were kind of like, cool, we're in first. Yeah. And now we're like, <laughs> fuck yeah, we're in first. Like exactly. We can say it with authority. I'm happy about that. Exactly. Uh, this is the Talent Tailgate Podcast. I am Chris Madrigal. That is Julio Reynoso. We have a guest for the first time this week, Julio. Are you excited? Our first ever guest. Our first guest. That's right. We have a lifelong friend, really, from Enioc as well. Uh, this is when we thought of our guest, we knew for sure this guy was going to be, he had to be the first person. So please welcome Mr. Mason Livingston. Welcome. Welcome back. to the podcast, Mason. I know this is a visu- uh, an audio format, but people can't see that I'm blushing right now. You guys are too nice. I love you. You also have too much of a beard, so we can't see you blush no matter what. Yeah, exactly. Your, hair, exactly. your red Irish hair covers it's all it up. Red. So uh, the three of us, if you don't know, real quick, uh, we all grew up within a mile from each other, more or less. And um, just like with with Chris, the reason I know Mason so well is because of his siblings. Shout out to Morgan. Uh, but here we are. So glad to have you here. Mason, uh, Eagle Ridge crew. So Mason literally grew up across the street from me. We are the same age. We, um, are one month difference in birthday. He has been my lifelong best friend. And Mason, funny thing, uh, when I told, when me and Julio talked about guests, so we talked about two weeks ago, we wouldn't have a guest on like around like the four episode mark. And I was like, so I'm going to call rank on this one. I want to bring, I want Mason to be our first ever guest on the podcast because, one, uh, he knows he has a lot of passion about the A's. He knows a lot. I think he can bring a lot of perspective and open-minded thinking to the table. And also, he's my best friend. So, nepotism at his finest. And then Julio said, LOL. I was thinking the exact same thing. So, so he also, agreed. we needed somebody <laughs> when we get to the main segment today who would be smart to talk about it. Exactly. <laughs> well, you guys are teeing me up to uh, disappoint, but I'll try to, you know... Make it to the Mendoza line. We're just excited, man. This is our first guest, so uh, you know we get to, like to feed off with three people instead of just me and him, um, oh, which right. is great. I mean, we do, we we do well, but you know it'd be nice to have another perspective in here. 
So, uh, Mason, why don't you tell us your um, your A's fandom story? Um, how how did you become an A's fan? Yeah, so I was born into A's fandom, like many of us were. Uh, my dad was born in 1945, so when he was growing up in Sacramento, there was no local sports team. He, he liked Hank Aaron. He followed the Braves. Uh, but then he went into the Peace Corps, got back to California in 1971, and of course they three-peated in 72, 73, 74, so he really jumped on that bandwagon and became a lifelong fan at that point. Uh, I was born on the day that Ricky Henderson broke the all-time steal record. No way. 1st, 1991. Yes. So it was just destiny that I was going to be an A's fan. Um, but, you know, I've had a lot of time to think about why I'm such a big fan. I might have mentioned this to you, Chris. Julio probably doesn't know the story, but while I was in college, I liked to dabble in some hallucinogens. <laughs> And I did, sh- I did shrooms one day, and I had a poster in my room. It was a canvas print of the Coliseum. And I spent, it was at least an hour, just staring at this print of the Coliseum, <laughs> contemplating, why am I such a big fan? Like, why am I dedicating all this time and energy into something that I have no control that over? That sounds like such a Mason I- thing to think about, whether you're, like, on hallucinogens or not. Uh, yes, yeah, so par for the course. Uh, I'm tripping balls, staring at the poster, and now I'm really at peace with my fandom because I realize that baseball is family, baseball is community. It's rooting for something bigger than yourself. It helps mark the passage of time. You know, hope springs eternal. Every March, we get together, start saying, you know, this is going to be our year. Uh, it teaches you um, how to handle heartbreak well. And to savor the good moments, because you know that a losing streak is right around the corner. There's no game clock in baseball. Your team always has a has a shot of coming back and winning. Um, and we've seen with the Marlins recently, you know, all those players get uh, COVID, and yet they're still able to pull together some wins. So regardless of the team that you're fielding, even the worst team can beat the Yankees uh, if things click right. Does your par- does your fa- sorry does your family know about that story? Yeah. Uh, the, uh, I do not think I've shared that. I know with you them, guys are but, pretty uh, open with telling like wild stories and stuff. I just wasn't yeah, sure about yeah. that. I'll uh, make sure to send them the RSS. <laughs> hey, link. just a heads up. <laughs> um, that it, it's very existential, but at the same time, like uh, I feel like that's so like it's so um, what's the word I'm looking for? Fast and uh, Furious. About no, definitely <laughs> that's definitely not the thing that I'm trying to think of. The word at all, what whatsoever. Um. It's definitely like highly correlated to life. I feel like because there's gonna be ups and downs. There's gonna be disappointments. But like just knowing like what your like goals are and then like going for that and knowing that there's gonna be disappointment on the way and just like fighting through it and like moving forward. And for some reason you just love something and you can't explain why. Some for some reason yeah. you have an emotional attachment to it. But and it's gonna let you down at some points. But it's also gonna be there for the highest points of your life. Um, As Billy Bean said, "How do you not get romantic about baseball?" Exactly. Fantastic. So uh, what's Fantastic. your favorite moment as a uh, as an A's fan? Yeah, you know, it's also a lot of this is going to tie back to family because that's such an uh, integral part of my fandom. But I was in basic training in uh, spring of 2010. And at this point, my father and I didn't have the best relationship. And we weren't talking all that much. But Dallas Braden threw that perfect game on Mother's Day. And he sent me a cutout, a clipping of the game, uh, and wrote me a really nice letter that I still have. And I didn't even get to watch it, but it just reminded me that, you know, it's so much bigger than baseball, but this is just a little microcosm of life. 
That's pretty. Uh, that's pretty cool. I, I can't. I can't imagine your dad doing that either, which is probably the coolest part about it. Um, uh, do you still have that letter? I do. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I have the. I have the cutout of the, the perfect game, and then awesome. the letter too. That's awesome. Uh, what's the best game you've seen in person? So I listened to episode one with you guys, and it's somewhat similar to yours, Chris. I think you were at game 18. I was at game 19 of the 20-game streak. Oh. Miguel Tejada walked it off the day before. He hit that home run. The game that I went to, he hit a walk-off single up the middle. Yeah. And my family, we were That was during the streak, right? Were... Exactly. Yeah. yeah, so in that 20-game win streak, we were at game 19. My family would leave early in oh, a lot of yep. games because oh. my parents didn't like traffic. We stayed till the very end of that one. It was just... So raucous being in the concourse with fans chanting, let's go Oakland, and the place was just vibrating. And, you know, especially at 11 years old, it really just uh, solidified that fandom. Yeah, I think, so I think I picked, I think that was a close second for me, but I think the one that I eventually picked was um, the 2013 Game 2 that we went to. Remember, it was like... It was like me, you, um, Chris Martinez was there. Uh, Ryan was even Ryan Singh was even there. Michael Santa Maria was there. Like my whole family was there, and we all sat in the same section yeah. in the third deck. And just when when Stephen Vogt hit that that single, we all just like lost our minds. That like yes. I I think that memory tre- I treasure more than um than the 18th walk off because especially with the steroids and everything, and finding out about Tahada's personality and how he's kind of a dick. Um, it kind of like ruined that memory a little bit for me because he was like a childhood hero. Whereas like Sonny Gray to this day is still one of my like all time favorite players just because of that game and how he went toe to toe with the best pitcher in the league and was like and completely shut him down. But um, I was thinking um yeah, about- that streak, just especially those last three games, all those walk offs. Oh, my God. Greatest greatest moment. Um, definitely sports moment of my life, like just period. Um, and probably just in general like it's just being more all the greatest of sports moment in your life more than like any of the warriors titles yeah man i i have a closer connection with the a's than i do the warriors oh yeah yeah i feel you yeah i feel you but interesting okay okay yeah what were you gonna say before uh, i cut uh, you off sorry yeah you're good i uh if you go if you're friends with us on facebook and i'm assuming a lot of you people who do listen to are if you just go look through like our old photos you're gonna see a ton of pictures of the three of us at games with groups of people oh my even god if, yes even if like we didn't planning on going together we somehow like oh shit look chris here tailgate kind of yeah tailgate and um i we spoke about this yesterday when we had the show prep i think one of my favorite memories of being at a game with you guys all together and i think we've all in the same boat was mason was this your 16th birthday 15th birthday? Ooh, it was my 15th yeah. birthday. Yes. But we, I was hoping you'd uh, bring this up. Your family had got a suite at the A's game, and it was a bunch of dumb high schoolers. And we weren't really paying attention to the game because it was the NBA playoffs, and it was like the Wizards and the Cavs were just going back and forth. And so I forgot who hit the game winner, but our suite just like erupted. And then I forgot about this part. You mentioned there was like a legit food fight at one point. I had mm-hmm. I had to re- remember that memory. Yes, uh, Clinton Hayes, shout out Clinton, got hit in the face with a hot dog covered in guacamole. <laughs> That's right. Uh, That's right. Just burned into my brain. Uh, that was awesome. It was all you could eat food too. I mean, I, that was a surprise party too, wasn't it, Mason? It was. I just showed up at the game thinking it was going to be me, my sister, and Chris Offset, and then 
I think you guys had a whole, like, white van full of people mm-hmm. showed up. And that's one of the things that I love so much about being an Ace fan is that it's so accessible. Like, if you were a Dodger fan and you wanted to do something like that, like, you have to be uh, a really wealthy person to be able to rent out a suite. But at the A's, you could rent a box for a very reasonable price. And they're just so accommodating and want you to have it. I forgot time. who I was talking to about this. Chris, it might have been with you. It was pretty recently. Um, there's not many stadiums in the country that are as accessible as the Coliseum is with trans- with having BART there. I think of like Yankee Stadium, um, like Subway's right there, even AT&T or Oracle, sorry. Uh, you still got to walk a little bit to get to the stadium. But like, it's like the commercial says, it's literally BART and you're there. And there's not many places where you can do that. But also, Julio, like, the parking. So, like, Yankee mm-hmm. Stadium has no parking at all. You pretty much have to take the train. So, it's like, I wonder if, if the accessibility from both public transportation and car makes the tailgating such a big part of the culture, you know? I wonder if, I, I feel like that's got to be a reason why, right? Yeah, it could be. And um, I, I think if you if you just look back at Oakland sport as a whole and you think about all the Raider tailgates we'd go through our lives. It, it's super family oriented. Yeah. Everybody's totally. there. It's all family members or it's people who they're pretty much their family and mm-hmm. eating and drinking. is a big thing that family do together. So 100%. Um, all right. So let's, uh, let's jump into the podcast. Huh guys. Sound good. News. Yeah. All right. So let's get to the news around the league. Um, only a couple things that we felt were worth talking about this week. Um, so the first piece of news is, again, more COVID news. Um, I know some of the listeners are probably getting a little burnt out on it, but every fucking week someone does something stupid, so we have to talk about it. Uh, Mike Clevenger and uh, what's Plesak's first name? Zach. Zach Plesak. Um, after uh, Ad- or Adam Plesak, sorry. Or no, Adam Plesak. Um, Zach Plesak. Um, right after Plesak won his um, uh, first ever um, major league start or something like that. Yeah. Um, they were in Chicago. They wanted to go out and celebrate. Um, so Mike Clevenger and Zach Plesak uh, went out um, to a couple bars around um, town and met up with some friends of Clevenger, apparently. Um, they didn't tell the team where they were going. Um, they didn't clear it. They just did it knowing that they were going to get in trouble. Um I guess Plesak came back around like 3 a.m., um, but Clevenger didn't come back at all. He didn't show up until the next morning, so he was out all fucking night doing God knows what. He seems um, like the kind on of On top guy. of that, on top of – yeah, definitely. On top of that, um, they didn't tell anybody that they were out because um, um, they didn't find out. And the next day, they go and they play a game. Um, they're in the locker room, their teammates. They're around um, the Cubs team – teammates on on or cubs team on on the field and whatnot and it isn't until that night that the word gets out and they find out and they get in trouble so they potentially i, I haven't heard any tests back or anything like that but they potentially could have endangered 20 40 what my math is gonna be terrible 46 i don't know a lot um, of people a lot of fucking people well yeah including staff a lot of fucking people for just being fucking stupid and you know I don't know. I I forgot who it was, but someone, uh, one of their teammates, um, veteran teammates, had a press conference um, right after that and, like, totally called them out. I think it was Jose Ramirez or something like that. Or no, it was Carlos um, Carrasco because he – Was it Carrasco? Yeah, because he has to be super cautious about everything because he's a cancer survivor. So he's 
he's kind of a in the more higher risk range so like yeah that's irres- it's extremely irresponsible and yeah he's in the most danger so and i think he said something like um, i'm definitely not going to make excuses for them it was really stupid we're uh we're definitely taking care of it in-house but uh there's no excuse for that behavior it's completely like careless and whatnot it was very interesting so yeah julio your thoughts it reminds me a lot of when rudy gobert first being the first major athlete becoming positive and it sent shockwaves because all of his teammates were losing a lot of trust it sounds like he was being pretty he wasn't taking this seriously at all and he did the whole microphone thing and now that we heard a lot of these stories about him and donovan mitchell weren't getting along for a while well what's going to happen now with Cleveland? We probably won't see the full fallout until at least the middle of next week, because that's usually how long it takes for the infection to take over your body. So if we start seeing positive test results by the next Wednesday, then I think he should just get suspended. They should get banned for the season. Just get him out there. Um, but if, Absolutely. if that, if they turn out, okay. Um, Terry Francona has had a history of, if you are not being a team player and you're, just not playing by the rules you're out of here case in point trevor bauer last year had that huge i still remember it like yesterday he had that huge blow up he threw the ball like all the way to center field and then uh Sam Kona's like what the fuck are you doing on the mound um yeah there, it's gonna be huge repercussions especially since like indians out outside of the a's as of right now wednesday august 12th have the best rotation probably have the best pitching staff in general and you're losing Clevenger, who he hasn't been as well as he could be right now. He's still doing pretty solid, and please, I could have some hype around him. You're losing two arms in that. In a short so, season. So I could be wrong, but isn't Terry Francona, doesn't, isn't he also, hasn't he been fighting cancer for a couple of years as well? Like, oh. isn't he someone else who's in, like, really bad health? He had, uh, I think he had mouth cancer at one point. I think he was a big chewer. Uh, Mason, I'll, do you I'll know by chance? That. I'm trying to look it up. Yeah, so am I. Um, it doesn't have anything. I'm on his Wikipedia. It doesn't have anything specific, but um, uh, he, he underwent had, some surgery. He had a regular heartbeat. heartbeat. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So Mason, what what are your? How do you feel about this whole situation? The way I see it is nobody is forcing these guys to be here if you want to go out and live like covid's not a serious threat that's your prerogative but you're jeopardizing other guys health and i just think it's when it's a 66 game season we're not asking these guys to quarantine for six months it seems completely completely reasonable to me to ask them to stay (laughs) they all have the means to be able to order food in so there's just no excuse for it and it's just frustrating and i'm with julio i almost when people do something like this i think there needs to be a minimum suspension uh even if you don't get infected even if you don't spread anything to anybody i think something like five games for violating protocol should just be at least the very first uh, step. Yeah, I mean, the, the, so they're purposefully breaking the rules. The same thing that the Cardinals did when they went to casino. Same thing that the Marlins did when they went to the fucking strip club. Like, it's just, it's just irresponsible allegedly, and stupid. Allegedly, allegedly. No, I mean, yeah, sure. But what are they going to do? Sue me for saying this? I mean, everybody in the fucking sports media is saying it. Um, it, 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 it's just, it, 
yeah, I 100 percent agree, and and I I think that if if you go out of your way to break this protocol and you test positive, then it should be more than five games. It should be like a ten game suspension. It should be like a major suspension, like a PED situation, because it's just complete um, uh, irresponsible. Irresponsibility. Yeah. yeah. Um, I I. It, just fucking celebrate in your hotel room with your teammates. Like, just get ten of your teammates, five of your teammates in your hotel room, grab some beers, and just kick it. Like, why do you have to go out to a bar and celebrate? This just isn't the time and place for this. Like, you're getting paid millions of dollars to play this game. Like, just chill the fuck out. Just go play call. They're not by themselves. I was gonna say, yeah, you're right. They're not by themselves. They have thirty yeah, friends with yeah. them. <laughs> what are you yeah, doing? Come on, Mario Kart party. All let's go celebrate. Like, <laughs> or, or you can be a nerd like Julio and play Mario Kart. Excuse me, Mason too. <laughs> New Switch owner. Yeah, it's so fun. Um, well, yeah, and that's the thing too. Just to kind of like capitalize this, like, yeah, you don't have to go out. Like, the thing about having it be in quarantine now is, if there's any point in time for this to happen, this is the time to do it when we yeah. literally have the world of entertainment at our fingertips, where exactly. you can watch. Every movie ever made, every TV show, you can play any video game all at your fingertips. And that's an incentive. Like, well, I'm going to chill and watch this movie tonight. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play this tonight. Like, I don't get it. I really don't get it. And then when you go back home, get to be with your family, your whatever else, and, and live a little bit of a normal life. I don't get it. Um, okay, so the second piece of national news was that the Blue Jays um, finally found a home in Buffalo, New York. So they... Um, Played their first game last night, um, Tuesday, August 11th, um, in the their minor league affiliate. I, th- I think it was there. It might be, or is the it the Bisons, the Buffalo Bisons? Yeah, yeah. I think that's Buffalo Bisons. Blue um, Bisons. From what I've heard, it's supposed to be a pretty nice, top-notch minor league facility. Obviously, it's not a major league stadium, but it's supposed to be pretty nice. Um, but it, it, again, it doesn't have any like stands in the outfield or anything like that. It's still a minor league stadium. But um, I didn't watch the game. Don't really know too much about it. I don't know if you guys happen to. Um, I just much about it. I so a couple how things they that, felt about playing there or something. I don't know. Well, for one, you have to think about it. A lot of these guys have already been playing there. So so yeah. Oh, so that's Vladivo good point. And, and Boba Shett and Yeah, they have a pretty young Kelly. team. Yeah, they've all they were all played there. So like they're pretty familiar with the grounds themselves. I'm sure they're pretty familiar with Buffalo and all that. Um, I did watch it tonight. It, it looks good. Of course, the no outfield bleachers is a little bit weird. Um, but if I had to put my own personal opinion on it, I actually went to Buffalo last year for a wedding. Niagara Falls. Random. Yeah. Oh, Niagara Falls. That makes sense. Beautiful. Was like, it was a once of a lifetime thing. Buffalo is one of the most boring cities I've ever been to in my life. So if there's <laughs> any, if there's any time to stay inside your hotel and do nothing and not feeling incentivized, like, oh, it's like when you're in L.A. or if you're playing in Atlanta or Chicago, you're like, oh, man, it's so hard to not go out. When you're in Buffalo, you're like, I'm okay with staying in. <laughs> uh, my best description, Chris, no offense at all, Buffalo is Sacramento with another sports team. Interesting, because I actually really enjoy going out in Sacramento. I think they have really good midtown. But, I mean, hey, sure. But, like, if you're going to go uh, compared to you drive an hour plus, you got to – San Francisco, or you can go to Berkeley, or you, or you go to Chico. Eh, all right, teach their own. Anyway, <laughs> um, I don't know, Mason. Do you have any thoughts on the the Buffalo Blue Jays? 
No, I was just thinking there's a reason why Marshawn Lynch wanted out of Buffalo. <laughs> I, I, and it's funny if you think about his how well we know his personality. There's no way he's like, it's too cold here, bruh. You got to yeah, get me yeah. out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, so let's move on to um, the past week and the A's news. So, um, you know, we could start chronologically, but unfortunately, this is just too big of a story to, to not start with. On Sunday, um, uh, August uh, 8th, no, ninth. Sorry, that was wrong. August ninth. Oh, there we go. Um, <laughs> uh, in the uh, what is the score? What was the score of that game? In a um, seven to two win against the Houston Astros, uh, I believe it was the seventh inning. Seventh or eighth inning. That was close to the um, game. Ramon Laureano gets hit by a pitch. The third time um, in the series. The second time that day. Um, uh, that was the fifth hit uh, batter to be hit in the entire series against Houston. Um, he made some very interesting remarks towards the pitcher. I forgot the pitcher's name. I believe is Bailey um, about um, his slider because the way he was throwing his slider, it was not breaking. Um, and so it would just go aim straight at Loriano and not break into the zone. So he makes some smart ass remarks. The pitcher doesn't like it too much. He gets over it. They kind of separate them a little bit. Nothing happens. Ramon gets to first base, and the hitting coach for the Astros, Alex Cintron, starts talking out of the dugout. Um, he steps up to the top of the dugout. He starts talking more. Ramon starts yelling back at him. And then, finally, Cintron steps up all the way onto the field. He says, let's go, I believe were the words that I saw him mouth, um, asking Loriano to um, come fight him. So Loriano goes, sprinting at him. Luckily, Dustin Gourneau catches him beforehand, takes him to the ground, protects him. His formal t- former teammate, obviously trying to keep him out of trouble, and then a massive brawl is induced. Um, punishments came down yesterday, uh, Tuesday the 11th. Um, Ramon Laureano um, was suspended six games. He has decided to appeal that, so he's able to still play. Alex Cintron was suspended 20 games. Boom. Um, he is not allowed to appeal that. A lot to unpack here, boys. A lot to unpack here. Yeah, oh, man. Well, one, I, I don't know if it was just like at a, it was like a cup of coffee time, but like I forgot Dustin Garneau was with the A's. Yeah, <laughs> it must yeah. Have, I, uh, he must have been there either. It's like a, a month like or two, two maybe months. Bolton catcher. I completely forgot about that. Two months last year, but the year before that, he was also there for about a month too. So he's uh, he's had a couple stints, um, very short stints, but he's had a couple stints there. He, couple, know, he knows those guys. He knows the team. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the thing that kind of stood out. But uh, sorry, Mom, Dad. I know you talk, said, oh, you guys, you guys cursed a lot, but sorry. Fuck Alex and Tron. That guy's a scumbag, yeah. dude. That's – and 20 games is a justifiable number, but I was, I was ready for him to get suspended for this season, especially because of the big reason why they said it was so harsh. Like, you're in a position of leadership you are supposed to be the person that kind of brings people down, doesn't spark it up. And the fact that you are still going with it, that's, that's childish. And I love Ramon with the quote of the year, the dagger three from downtown, the walk off grand slam. When asked if he regrets it, he said, I regret changing. I regret charging him because he's a loser. (laughs) Bang done. Get out of here. Uh, and that's the thing. And the other thing too, of course, your teammates are going to defend you, and they're going to say, "Oh, there's something wrong." All this, all that usual stuff. 
everybody said out Ramon is not that kind of guy. He's a, you know, he plays with passion, but he is not a, a, a violent or somebody who wants to instigate and start shit up. So for him to do that is pretty wild. And I don't, I, I don't think, I don't know if you mentioned this, but Thea had said something about supposedly he had said something to Ramon about his mother and in multiple interviews, Alex and Chona as I denied it, yada, yada, yada. And I was talking with my dad about this yesterday because Marley Rivera from ESPN, she was tweeting about a big thing when it comes to Latin culture is you could talk shit about anybody you want to anybody. But if you say something about somebody's mother, that's, that's game over. And my dad, is like, yeah, like anytime I used to see my brothers get lit up. Like if somebody said something about the bomb, it feels jokingly. So that's a huge, and he went to that vulnerable place and he knows what he was doing and it, it should have been more, but it's just viable. Um, to clarify, so Dustin Gourneau played 20 games with the A's in 2017, and then he played seven games with the A's last season, 2019. So, yeah, I mean, like, it wasn't, like, a long stint, but he knows the team, and he, he knows the guys, you know, about a month or two each. Um, yeah, Mason. Yeah, this Centrone, man. I <laughs> have... <laughs> I was livid watching it. So I was at work. Uh, the group chat starts getting blown up. So then I go and watch it. I'm like, okay, some tr- or uh, at first I'm like, oh, Lariano, he lost his cool. But then I rewatched the video from different angles and everything. And what a, he's just a bitch ass. <laughs> it bothers me so much. Uh, and Lariano, you know, he's chirping, he's walking. It was done right there. And I think it bothers me even more that the coach then instigates this fight and just stays behind his players. Like, if you really wanted to get some, you know, go out and tee off. Do what you want to do, but you're just doing this faux saber-rattling, and it's like a keyboard warrior. And it makes me so upset when people try ask for smoke, then when it's coming, they disappear. Yeah. And I think we got to add even more to this because it's just the comedy factor. Ramon Laureano is not that big of a guy, right? I think Mm-mm. he's probably like 5'10". I'm bringing up the... I don't have here. He's like 5'10", 5'11". So Alex Petron's like 6'2", like 2-something. And he hid behind the team. Yeah. Not wanting any smoke. Like, get out of here, dude. I mean, like, so I... <laughs> We've all said it, but I just feel like it needs to be said a third time. Like this is a definition of just a little bitch. Like it's it literally like literally like this is just like everything about it. Obviously, like all the A's fans listening right now, we're very biased. Obviously, you're very biased. We all have our opinions on it. We all probably feel the same way. But like, it's just uh, I think the the great thing about we we can defend Loriano. He's not that type of guy. Blah blah blah. He was chirping at him at the pitcher, but not at not at the guy. Uh, or not the, not at Cintron. Um. But to be fair, like I think this proves that that L'Oreal's not that guy because most guys who got hit that many times, who obviously you've been hit twice, three times in the series, twice that day, you have every right to be upset. Um, maybe not angry, but you have every right to be upset and frustrated, and you're probably gonna after the third time let it out a little bit. Probably most guys, um, Bryce Harper just comes to mind for some reason because he has kind of a fiery uh, personality and he has a history of this. Would start talking shit to the pitcher being like fuck you like let's go like you got a problem with me blah blah blah. ramon didn't even do that he was just like he, i don't i can't tell if this is just like he's just a witty guy or he just was like all right i'm just gonna be a smart ass about it like 
bro, you're just you're not flicking it enough. You're not you're not getting that break on it. It's just going straight at me. Like it's it's got it's got the spin, but it doesn't have the it, it it's not breaking. You just, you gotta just do it a little more 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 wrist and just like just talking shit to him in that way, being very specific on it. Um. And you know the worst part about this with the whole Citron situation? So Citron was the only coach on the Astros coaching staff that is carried over from the cheating scandal. Oh, God. So so not only was he a part of the cheating scandal under the coaching regime, but he was a hitting coach. So he's the one who encouraged it. He's the one who got those those like notes and was banging the trash can. He's the one who did all that shit. He, he got promoted, like, actually. He wasn't actually the hitting coach at the time. He was like he a wasn't? lower position. No, he was like an I assistant mean, hitting coach. And I mean, then the, when the the, the uh, hitting department is the department that was the cheating, so he's the fucking issue. And for him to have the balls to talk shit to to Loriano in that situation, like, where is this kid coming from? Like, what the fuck? Uh, have you seen his career numbers? Oh, they're bad. Are they pretty bad? Yeah. How is this guy a hitting coach? Ne- negative two point two WAR. <laughs> Well, uh, I think he was like a 275 hitter, but so maybe that was a field. But regardless, he wasn't a well sub. backup quarterback. So the guys become the best like coaches. So not to be on his I, side, but also <laughs> correction, Chris, we all didn't call him a little bitch. I said fuck that guy. Mason said he's a bitch ass. There's a no, 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 no. no. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we all we all insulted him in different ways, but we all insulted him. That was that and, was what I was kidding. Um, I saw. I think you guys probably saw this. Uh, I, th- I can't remember if this was last night's game, Tuesday, or Monday night's game. Three of the top five guys in baseball who are leading hit by pitch categories are all A's. It's Loriano, really? Canna, and Grossman. Loriano's tied in the lead. Jesus. He, I mean, there was like, there was like five or six in that series alone. It was almost like they were targeting us. I don't know why. We're not the ones who cheated. Like, we're the, the ones who out outed it, I guess, because of fires. If there, if there are any Ace fans that that uh, missed this whole saga um, and you want to see it, our Twitter account Town Tail at Town Tailgate on Twitter. Um, Julio manages that account. I'm not allowed to because we'll probably get um, canceled if I do. Um, <laughs> uh, just kidding. <laughs> Uh, so uh, Julio retweeted a very good video by John Boy, um, who breaks down and everything. So you can go see it on our Twitter account again at Town Tailgate on Twitter. Follow us, please, um, and um, you can go check out the whole saga. And it breaks it down. He gives like commentary, says like kind of talks about what what the guys are even saying. Like he reads their lips and talks about like what the guys are even saying when they're talking to each other and stuff. And um, to kind of go with the little John Boy, so if you haven't watched him, he's great. Go to check out his YouTube channel. And he's actually had us a pretty decent influence in the baseball community now, too, because there's even been games where you hear, like, commentators or managers have mentioned, like, oh, I didn't want to do anything because I didn't want to be on John Boy's page. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if Loriana's suspension wasn't as severe because I think we were all in the same boat. We were all, like, 10, 15 games at least. And when he got six, it was like, we'll take it. Yeah, it's and now there's a there he is appealing it. I don't know if we mentioned that earlier. He's appealing it, and it it sounds like there might be a chance where it actually might get less. At least that's so, what Susan Slester was saying. There's like a chance that it might. So, so Julio, me and you were texting about this a lot. We felt like six games was a lot less. Obviously, like you just said, less than we expected. We felt like now they like he should have just taken that and not tried to appeal it because. With the series, we're obviously going to preview the series at the end of this podcast, and we'll talk about it later in more depth. But 
the the teams that we have coming to town, um, the Giants and the and the um, the Diamondbacks, not too great of teams. Kind of like a nice little stretch where we don't. I I feel like we don't necessarily need him in order to get through these teams. We could probably breeze through, not breeze through, but we could probably get through them, uh, manage without having. Which is obviously Loriano is probably our best player this season. We've talked about it a lot on this podcast. Um, <laughs> the Loriano uh, podcast. Yeah. Um, so I feel like now is the, the best time to accept that punishment, just move on from it, and then he can come back when the Angels are back in town next weekend. Um, so this is a very interesting move. I mean, if it means that the, the suspension goes down, great. But um, <laughs> if we don't hear back until, like, I don't know, the t- weekend of the 28th, 29th, and 30th when we head to Houston and have to play the Astros again, like, that's a little worrisome. Um, and it would be tough to not have him in the lineup for that series. Um do you, do you think the Astros' punishment was fair? I was trying to think about this. I think Centrone should have been suspended for the entire season. And I don't know if it would be fair to suspend the pitcher, even if it was just an honest mistake. But suspending a center fielder is not the equivalent to sen- uh, suspending a well, hitting coach. The, so I think... Oh, sorry. Uh, well, the thing is, too, so Bailey was the guy, Bailey was the guy who hit at... Loriano the first time around. I don't know what his first name was. Yeah. It's also funny because they were actually the guys who were traded for each other when the yeah. games first got it from Houston. Yeah. Um, to quote Dave Stewart, thanks for Loriano, you cheaters. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Castellanos, I think was his name, or Castillos. Uh, Castellanos. Castellanos, thank you. Uh, he was the pitcher that threw, him, threw at him the second time on Sunday, but he also threw at him on Friday as well. Uh, Interesting. So, if anybody gets a suspension, maybe him, maybe just a fine. The second time looked pretty innocent, though. It, I couldn't it's... agree more w- with the coaches because coaches, the, the, I mean, you're supposed to be the adult on the field. You're supposed to set the example. There's no excuse for a coach, one, starting a fight, and and one and two, being in, involved in it at all whatsoever, uh, um, unless it's with, like, an umpire, I guess. I don't know. I mean, uh, hopefully not that either. But um, that it, it's just a complete fucking joke. That guy, he's part of the cheating regime. He 100% should have been suspended for the entire season. And um, and I feel like the Astros shouldn't be able to hire a new hitting coach, too. That should have also been part of the punishment. You're, this guy's suspended. You can't you can't um, replace him. Like, sorry, you shouldn't have cheated. You have to learn to hit on your own. Yeah. Uh, but another thing, too, Dusty Baker was ejected earlier in the game, which is yeah. a pr- it was a pretty soft call that he got kicked out for. Yeah. If he was there, this doesn't happen. No, and I think he, the he's, most he's had, a, hap- he's had a tough situation to deal with this entire yeah. year in the first place. Like, I think Dusty Baker would have told Ramon to stay on first base, you little fucker, and then that was it. So, so you, you say, you know, you say like the kind of like uh, parody about the hitting coach, like whatever, like cool, you have to learn that it somewhere else. Uh, the main job of a hitting coach in the Major League Baseball is putting together the, the scouting reports against the pitchers. Like that's really the, the main thing. So if you don't have a hitting coach for that, someone's got to take over that responsibility. That's why I say that. That's why it's a little bit more important. All right. Interesting. So let's move on um, to the past week. Um, so uh, when we last spoke to you guys, the Rangers had just – I mean, the, sorry, the A's had just beat the Rangers 6-4. to four. Well, the next day, Thursday, August 6th, they beat them again 6-4. to four. Um, making the win streak go to seven in a row or no uh six in a row sorry um so the astros came to town and we whooped that ass uh friday the 7th we beat them three to two 
Um, Saturday the eighth, we beat them three to one. The A's beat them three to one. Sorry. Um, and then Sunday, you know, it's we whatever. Um, and then Sunday the ninth, um, the A's beat them seven to two, which was the Loriano brawl. Um, ending up with a nine-game win streak, the uh, best record in the American League. Um, I think at the end of the night, on the ninth, they were the best record and winning percentage of the entire Major League Baseball, if I if I have that right. Um, and then um, the Angels came to town. We lost the first game in horrendous fashion, um, giving up a late home run, uh, nine to ten. Um, that was just another rough start for Sean Mania. Uh, we're, we're going to talk about him in just a little bit, but, um, we'll just breeze through this. And then last night, the 11th, um, which will be Tuesday. So not last night for the listeners. Um, we lost zero to six. And then today, Wednesday, the 12th, we beat the angels eight to four bouncing back a little bit. Um, it was a little, I, I was freaking out this morning with Julio texting him like, this is fucking bad, man. We gave up. 10 runs the other night. We gave up six runs last night. Our offense didn't look look good last night. I would be a little worried. If they win today, I'll feel a little bit better. But then I looked at the records of the rest of the American League. Everybody who was, in, who was at the top of their division lost last night. So we still were – if the playoffs started today, we'd still be the number one seed. So it didn't – it kind of made me feel a little bit better. But Chris Bassett pitched a good game today. Um, offense came alive. Um, I'll leave it at that for you guys. And well, the one thing I was trying to tell you um, about mo- the Monday game was just weird. Uh, yeah, so we weird. had a very solid lead. Sean is just still not himself. Yeah, um, and I think that was kind of a game that we we're okay with losing for the sake of. I we have kind of our our B guys when it comes to the bullpen in the game. Uh, Trevino is kind of Trevino is a whole nother thing. I think th- this might be it for him. Um, but uh, so them losing that game makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, yesterday, I was trying to tell you, Dylan Bundy is like one of the best pitchers in the American League right now. Yeah, when you showed he, me those numbers, I I, I was you know yeah. like, oh shit. Okay. And uh, it, sometimes that's all it takes. Sometimes it takes just a brand new environment, especially if you're getting lit up in Baltimore. Uh, Mason, you can probably know off the top of your head, but I think there's another pitcher who came who was in Baltimore. That's actually oh sorry. Uh, Kevin Gausman, he's actually pitching pretty well for the Giants lately and just shows you, like, just get out of that ballpark and it's going to bring you down. Uh, but, yeah, it wasn't that it wasn't that hard. And But the one thing I, I did write down, I, I'm so glad we only have one more series against the Angels because that 3-4-5 is fucking killing us. Yeah, man. The Rendon had five, a home run in every single game. Yeah. The 3-4-5 of Trout, Rendon, Otani over the series hit 441 <laughs> uh, which is crazy because Otani started off bad like the first series against us he was fucking trash yeah and now like the, these if you and we had David Fletcher was doing some work against the A's um, that offense is not a joke and it's something we've been talking about for a bit at least I've been trying to say is like if they can hit maybe their pitching can kind of hold them over and that's kind of what happened yesterday with Dylan Bundy is he was able to at least slow down their lineup and get shut them out. Like, there could be a threat, and that's something we have to be aware of, at least yes. offensively. Yes, so, so let's clarify before Mason, before you go um, weigh in. Um, you have been saying all season, and I have been uh, denying, and uh, I've been uh, just 
not agreeing and denying and saying you're crazy, Julio. You don't know what you're talking about. You're full of shit. But uh, this past series has proven you right once again. Um, you know, checkmate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Mason, the past week, what? Uh, how did you feel about it? So winning is a hell of a deodorant. Yeah. Uh, so when you're winning, you're able to kind of squint and you don't really see the problems, but you know, after losing those two, you started to realize that if we can't hit with runners in scoring position, we're not going to be able to make a deep run this year. If we're only relying on the long ball and just leaving guys on base, then uh, this offense can slip into moments of ineptitude. And so that was really frustrating to watch. Recency bias is really strong. I felt really terrible the last two days, but the win today helped salvage the series and I feel a little bit better. But I realized as I was watching Trout like two days ago, he's the best player I've ever seen. And I know that's not a revelation, but, you know, if we get killed by Trout every once in a while, I think it's somewhat understandable. The pitching rotation scaring me a little bit. I feel really good about Luzardo and Montas, but after that, it's a little iffy. You don't feel good uh, about Bassett? I, I... I feel like Bassett's had two really strong starts, and then today, you know, not as good, but it wasn't like abysmal it wasn't like it wasn't like Manaya like like completely blowing the game yeah but do you want Chris Bassett to be your number three starter like I like Bassett fine as the number five guy uh but I don't know but if we're looking at other big threes of the contenders is Bassett going to be able to go up against uh, a third? Ace? I wouldn't feel terrible about it. I mean, the thing about so let's say we go into a five-game series with Lazardo and, and Montas, two of the probably the ten best pitchers in in the league right now, um, at least performance the past couple couple weeks. Um, you know, let's say that we're up two games. Like, I wouldn't feel bad about throwing Bassett out there at game three. Um, I wouldn't feel bad about any of our guys. I think you know, Fires had two bad starts. He had one really quality one. He's one of those guys who is typically pretty consistent once he gets in a rhythm. So once he gets going, I, f- I feel confident, and he'll be obviously our number three guy. Um, Shamanaya, I mean, it's just I said it last week. Like I don't, I don't know. Should we just get? Should we jump into our um, our last week tailgate tools of the week, Julio? Well, yeah, I. D- oh, sorry. So <clears throat> I mentioned this earlier uh, in our group chat, but you have to think about. We weren't even supposed to be in this scenario. It was supposed to be Puck in this five spot. Of yeah. Florida, and then now that he's hurt, and he's not going to be pitching in the rotation at least. Uh, it kind of had me thinking that we only have a couple more weeks left until the trade deadline. So here, quick hypothetical names. Let's put them out there. These first three guys are guys whose contracts end at the end of the year. And one of them is like a epic go on Lynn. Uh Rick Porcello. He's having a little bit of a bounce back with the Mets. Mets are not playing well. He very much fits that Oakland scheme. Cheap, one year. Is he still in. on that Boston contract? Would we have to eat some of that? Or would, would the Mets take that? Or uh, have, has Boston taken that? I'd imagine the – no, well, he signed a one-year deal. He was a free agent. He signed a one-year deal with the Mets. Okay. Um, I mentioned him earlier, Kevin Galsman, having a decent season for the Giants. Uh, if you can get some runs behind him, he could be a decent, a decent pitcher. And again, go big or go home. Trevor Bauer, free agent at the end of the year. If the Reds are out of contention, if they really just want to make a move for it, there you go. Now we have three more guys. These are guys who are through 2021, same formula. 
Two guys are like, okay, if they're out of contention. And then three, go big or go home. Uh, Carlos Martinez, the Reds, the Cardinals, I don't think are ever going to play baseball again <laughs> at this rate. Yeah, they uh, might put a fire sale if they're never if they if the if Major League Baseball just suspends the rest of their season. Yeah, so that's a decent option. Let's uh, bring back our dude Geo. If the White Sox are going to be out of contention, get him on the cheap. He's somebody he performs. White Sox well. are playing good right now, Julio. The White Sox yeah. are playing good right now. And again. This is somebody, if they fall out of contention because they haven't been playing great lately, that big a girl home guy, Max Scherzer. Not oh going to happen. Oh, my God. All right, so let's just – we're going to end but it right there. But then also, <laughs> uh, you guys were bringing up this point that – I made this point earlier about Francona. If Mike Clevenger is on the market, and if you learn from that lesson – I'm wondering, in a shortened season, how much are these guys going to cost? Are you really going to give up one of your top five, top ten guys in your farm system? Uh, for 30 games, 30 Guys, games. guys, we're not – trading is not going to be a thing this season. It's just not. It's too risky. Like, yeah, it's going to be available, but no one's going to want to fucking trade players because no player is going to want to be a part of trades. No one's going to want to, like, put that that to risk, especially in such a shortened season. They're going to be there for, what, 15 games? They're going to move their family across the, across the country for 15 games? It's – like, I'm telling you right now, like, trades are not going to be a thing. Maybe a few, like, small bullpen guys on, like, more than just, like – rentals this season uh, but like i i just don't i don't see the deadline being a thing this season i really don't well we already had a trade from our oakland great yonder alonto traded <laughs> back to the padres back with his brother he wasn't he wasn't playing though yeah that's true but all i'm saying is if we're in a five game series and you're it's a five game series against uh let's say the rays who would you rather have as your number three pitcher going against blake snell tyler glasnow and, Char- and um, Charlie Morton. Would you rather have Chris Bassett, who Mason brought this point up in our group chat, where he he's pitching, he's, he had a fine game today, but there's a potential where he's going to regress to the mean. Or fucking take a shot at somebody like Rick Porcello, who the guys was a Cy Young winner, the guys won a World Series. See, we can get out of him. We've known that there's been certain guys who they've been okay at best. You trade them to the play in the Coliseum. Mike Fires. Look how much better his value has become from playing in Detroit than coming back to Oakland and actually putting together a pretty manageable start starter career. I uh, I I I am a lot more confident in Chris Bassett than you guys are because I very much like him and the way he's pitched the past two seasons. So I feel comfortable with him at three at the number three spot. But he won't be. I think He'll be the number four made- guy. We just made show history. I think this is the first time where you've been more optimistic about something than I have. Yeah, 100%. I'm typically <laughs> the one who's ready to just light the house on fire and dip out. Um, to hijack the conversation for a second, do you know what's up with the Osiel Puig? I know he tested positive for COVID, so that voided his contract. I'm just thinking getting a run producer in the lineup, especially if Lariano is missing time, do you think there would be any chance the A's would bring him in for Yo, I don't, I don't even think don't, about that. I don't think it's worth it either. I feel like we gotta have guys in house who can make it happen. We're, our outfield has been killing it with their bats, except for Kamar Canna as of late, only as of late. But all season, our outfield has pretty much been the core of our offense, and they all can play pretty above average defense. Um, I'm, I'm, and we have four guys. Like I think it, what it is is just Grossman, Canna, and Piscotti just have to play every day while he's gone. What That's if we put him at DH? 
<laughs> I don't know, man. Mason, you son of a bitch. <laughs> What's the thing right. for Rick and Marty? You son of a bitch. I'm in. All right, guys. Let's uh, let's jump into um, um, our last week's tailgate tool of the week, which mine was Sean Manaya for the second week in a row. Um, he did exactly what we were fearful of and what we said. Um, I think he's. I think the bullpen's a move for him. He pitches well for one to. or two innings, and and then and then he falls off after after the third or after after two and a two and a first or two and a second. Um, it's just I think I think he could be a really good bullpen asset. And you know when Puck comes back, I think you just gotta like, even though it's risky, and I know Bob Melvin doesn't want to do it, but it's only it's a short season, so maybe there won't be as much wear and tear. Maybe you put a pitch count on him, like eighty-five pitches or something. And you throw puck in there because it's just it's not working with Manaya, and he needs to get his confidence back so he can be ready for the future for this team. And in the off season, he works on it, gets it going, comes in next season is one of our best pitchers. But right now, it's just too risky with a sixty game season. Well, did you see uh, the Braves had actually sent down Sean Newcomb had been struggling pretty hard, and he actually got sent to their alternate site. So like, do you oh, even, really? Do you even? think that that might be something to help him but at that point it's like well who do you plug into that spot in the rotation do you just have it be the the bullpen role and keep depleting those guys i, I megden has not looked good. yeah megden's been been rough I, I mean that's what i'm saying like i think when puck comes back you just got to throw him in there i mean i don't know i mean megden wasn't to, half bad I'd, last night actually I'd have to look at who we have in camp uh, paul blackburn's the first name that comes to mind Shout um out Daniel Gossett is another name, name that comes to mind. I don't no, know where, dude, he, he where he's at. Oh, he did? Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't know where he was at with his Tommy John. Um, yeah, I don't know. This is a big dilemma. I think that's the reason why Manaya is still starting. You know, Otherwise, I feel like this would have been um, changed um, a little bit ago. It's a little – yeah, it's worrisome. Um, it's, and the thing is, like, we love him so much because of, like, he's been such a great – present to the team uh you can kind of say because we were in a little bit of a funk going into that uh, after that seattle series and when we had that huge off huge offense explosion he was kind of the guy to bring everybody's spirits back together and he started yeah. he started the man chap me man like man-chap. he started man chap and now we just all have to yell at each other when matt chapman does something great uh, so he's important he's important for that sense you need somebody like him especially when everybody's extremely paranoid with COVID and everything. You need somebody who's going to keep things light and fun, but it's like he's, we're running out of options with him. We don't have much time. We can't, re- especially if we go to the, if we make it to a champ, the ALCS, we can't rely on him to start any of those games and we will need somebody to get be in there. Yeah. From a likability standpoint, I, Manaya is up there with anybody on this team. I want him to succeed. He's just he's broken right now. Uh, I don't know what you can do. Maybe some simulated starts will right the ship, but it's the velocity is concerning. Uh, I don't know if he's what it is about this second time through the order. The guys just figured him out, but he he threw a uh, no hitter. So the guys clearly got stuff that's. Um, you know, a viable starting pitcher. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, so uh, Julio, you're who's your tailgate to week? Chris <laughs> Davis. <laughs> That's right. So let's hear it. Uh, 
this is why we're going to sign Yasel Puig and be our DH. He batted uh, <laughs> uh, 16 appearances. Uh, he batted 188. He had a two-hit game uh, against Houston. Great job. Yeah. Man. The thing is, I, the point I was trying to make with uh, when I chose him was like, when he starts clicking, the offense explodes. If he's he's kind of the, the, the gaslighter of this whole thing. And something we've kind of learned over this last week and a half is he's not anymore. When this was a team when he was a veteran in 17, the, the veteran guy in 17 and 18 and, and Chappie and Olsen and Loriano kind of relied on him for that. They've kind of taken over that mantle where these are the guys. If you look at what Matt Chapman has done over the last week and what Loriano has done all season on Olsen offensively wise, they don't, it's sad. Um, they don't need him anymore. It's like that. Yeah. It's like that meme of the Ninja Turtles when they're all baby and Master Splinter is like carrying them, like holding them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the Ninja Turtles are full grown and now they're all like carrying Master Splinter. It's Chris Davis. I wonder if that like is also contributing to the mental funk that he's in, realizing that the team doesn't really need him. And Damn. if that's messing with his confidence. That's a fucking great point. I didn't think about that. Another guy I want to succeed. Uh, did you guys read that athletic article about him having the yips, not being able to throw it? From yeah, field? yeah, yeah. And so if a guy, I'm neurotic, so those in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. That being said, I wonder if it's a similar funk that he's facing at the plate. I didn't now. even try to think about associating that. That makes oh my god, that makes a ton of sense. Both those things, both like the you know like. The, the kids like leaving the nest and and the yips like he's clearly mental the mental part of the game is clearly a very like Im- impactful thing in the way in the way he plays I uh, yeah man it's I I think we I mean we've talked about it a lot Julio on this podcast over the past four episodes it's it's a tough situation because I love the guy and we spent money on him and I was so happy about that and I wanted him to prove the front office wrong about like long contracts and it's just like it's just tough. I don't know what to do with him now. So, like, especially when we have, like, these guys, these four outfielders who are all playing great and should be playing every day. And if he's not hitting well, like, all right, well, then Canna should DH today or Grossman should DH today because they're being productive. Um, yeah. I, what, what did you – so, oh, just so – I just wanted to break this down for the listeners. Just so that people understand what the tailgate tool of the week, what we're, we're picking for – it's not necessarily like the guy who we think is just gonna like splash that week. It's just the guy who we think that the l- listeners should watch in the coming week, and the and we give the reasons why. So, um, I just wanted to make that clear. Not that you guys said anything about it, but I just wanted to make that clear. Like, so Julio made that a point because Chris Davis has been struggling all all um, all season. Um, we've had a lot of production again like i've been saying for the past weeks from the outfield we have guys who can come in and take that spot um it almost feels like a waste of uh at bat um in the lineup and we have guys who can be productive there so he was saying keep an eye on that to see how he does and if he does well this could be home run fest 2020 and if he doesn't you know we're gonna be in this very sad mood that we are in right now because we all love this guy 
All right, let's move on. <laughs> on no, that the, note. The end. <laughs> All right, so um, let's pick our player of the week, guys. Uh, I think let's let Mason go first since he's the guest. What do you think, Julio? Absolutely. Mason. All right. Uh, recency bias is strong. I'm going to go uh, Ramon Laureano with his two robbed home maybe runs. I should've, maybe I should have made this clear before you made this pick. So this is it's the... It's too late um, now, but... It's yeah. too late now, but this is the um, honorary... Uh, this is the name of the award. It's the honorary um, try to pick someone other than Ramon Laureano Player of the Week Award. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because every week it's Ramon uh, Laureano, and we've agreed to that. So literally every single week, me and Julio have been like, so the obvious one's Ramon, so okay, let's pick yeah. someone else. Uh-huh. But that's fine. You didn't know, so Ramon Laureano is your that. pick. Please keep going. Okay. Uh, I think his, you know, these are all going to get tied together later, but in the outfield, having a plus defender is just such a strength. Um, Being able to, I think psychologically, there's a bump that comes from one of those great plays, a home run robbery. And today really blew the game open, hit with runners in scoring position, and... Yeah, it's just that swagger and confidence that I think the team needs to rally behind. All right, Julio, what's yours? Um, I I I try not to go with. Nah, fuck, I'm going with obvious. Matt Chapman, man, chap, <laughs> tore it up this week. He batted three ten over the last week, four home runs. Um, something about playing against his hometown team, the Angels, he brings his absolute best. He had a web gem at third the other night where he had Mike Trout at third just looking at him, just like, you just did that kind of thing. And yeah. when you have the best player of our generation, just like odd and fantastic. And he also had a great quote where uh, Albert Pujols, because if Albert Pujols wouldn't hit that ball, he would have at least got two RBIs out of it. And, <laughs> and Albert was like, oh, you stole a couple of RBIs from me. Matt's like, well, I figured you have so many, so. <laughs> yeah. Fat. Did I see correctly, Julio, that he has the most extra base hits in baseball now? Have you seen that? Matt Chapman. Yes, I'm gonna. We, yeah, fat, yeah, fact check that while, while Chris does his. But um, no, I I did not wear that. But he's he's one of those guys. Over the first couple weeks, he wasn't. He was even defensively, he was having some shortcomings. Hitting wasn't there, but now he's like full fledged. He's in full on MVP or MVP platinum glove mode right now, and yeah. I don't expect him to fall down from this. So since you picked uh, Manchap, which is a very good one, uh, which was on my list, I will pick another obvious one. Um, Frankie Montas put together two uh, fantastic starts. He is a Cy Young candidate as we speak right now. He is he has made himself the clear ace of our staff. Great leader. He's just great stuff. He's throwing 99. He's fucking changing it down at fucking 81 miles per hour. Just insane drop in velocity from that from that fastball that changeup. He's just fucking killing it. He's hitting in all of his spots. Hitters are afraid of him. He's not a big strikeout guy does everything else well he's just he's he's never it almost he's almost never in trouble like the most trouble he's been in the past three starts has been like a runner on second like it's fucking it's insane i love it so much so um and also um he was named um major league baseball's american league player of the week last week so double whammy for him 
Congratulations, Frankie. You won the Major League Baseball Player of the Week, and you won the Town Tailgate Player of the Week. So good job by you. Awesome job stat, you, too. Frankie. <laughs> awesome stat, too. Uh, I forgot where I saw the source of this. The exit velocity off of his the his pitches mm-hmm. off of like off the bat, yeah. eighty four point six mile per hour. It's That's the, it. Wow, it's the, among the lowest in baseball. Good shit. So when you do something like that and you have killer defense, yeah. Uh, so Julio to follow up. Matt Chapman is tied for the American League uh, with three others, including Aaron Judge. He has eleven extra base hits. And in the National League, it's Fernando Tatis. That does not surprise me at all. Um, Player of the year right now. He's been killing it. Okay, guys. So uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we will come right back with our featured segment. Um, This one is very specific specific to Mason's expertise, former political science major. Um, So we'll, again, take a quick break and be right back. Okay, welcome back. This is Town Tailgate, obviously, with Chris and Julio. Uh, Mason Livingston is joining us this week. So this week's uh, featured segment, boys, um, it's going to be called Stick to Sports. So whenever an athlete or organization or whatever it is gets involved with anything outside of sports, politics, um, mostly politics, uh, anything like that, um, we always hear fans say, Stick to sports. So this is going to be a segment where um, we talk about anything involving the A's that is outside of the game of baseball. So this week, um, something very interesting happened. Dave Cavill, president of the Oakland A's, um, announced that they um, are issued a lawsuit um, against the California Department of Toxic, Toxic Substances Control. Um, over its alleged pollution at Stitzer, I think that's it, Stitzer Steel uh, Medical Shredding Facility um, in West Oakland near the Howard Terminal. Apparently, they have been polluting the bay um, uh, and have not been taking good care of their facility. I believe they had six fires in the past at their facility in the past uh, five fires, uh, five fires in the past um, three years. Um Again, this is the A's that are suing this company, not the city or the county of Alameda, city of Oakland or county of Alameda. So I found that to be very interesting. So that's why that's a big reason why we brought Mason on also this week because we want to find out um, from someone who knows politics um, what's going on. So Mason, I'll let you. I, I mean, I'll let you just kind of take it away from here. I think. Yeah. So a little bit of background. Uh, This is all stemming from a 2014 Senate bill, Senate Bill 1249, uh, which calls to regulate shredded automobile and appliance waste, and it rescinds exemptions granted to the industry decades ago. So Schnitzer Steel has been around for over 50 years. They were one of those uh, industries that was exempted from some of the environmental regulations. So they were able to kind of just do whatever the hell they wanted. All right, okay, that was probably a little aggressive, but regardless, there wasn't much oversight. And then so this bill then gave them until January of 2018 to comply with the standards. Uh, And it really came about because NBC Bay Area did this investigation that exposed this long history of poor regulation. Um, And also, like you mentioned earlier, there have been a lot of fires 
And this is really an environmental equity issue. It tends mm-hmm. to be that people, low-income residents, have a lot of health issues because wealthier people say, not in my backyard. So they might want the benefits of some industry, but they don't want any of the negative health impacts. So a lot of those companies, like Schnitzer Steel, end up operating in low-income areas, and then those residents end up having higher rates of asthma, respiratory mm-hmm. issues that all stem from... Um, these environmental practices. Uh, So Schnitzer, even after this bill, Senate Bill 1249 was passed, they have not been complying. And the A's sent them a notification, I think 18 months ago, still didn't comply. So this litigation is against actually, it's a suit filed against the California Department of Toxic Substances Control Trying like negligence against, against like regulating them or something like that. Exactly. Right? So we're trying to get this oversight, um, this regulatory uh, committee to actually do what they're supposed to do and try to clamp down on some of this pollution that Schnitzer has been doing. Um, we're going to see what actually happens. Uh, it's a lot of grandstanding, I think, from both sides. You have... Uh, Schnitzer, who opposes the stadium, they're trying to claim that this is retaliation. Uh, they're trying to claim that the A's coming in here, they just want to build these luxury apartments, and it's actually going to uh, make it so that West Oakland residents that have high-paying, blue-collar jobs, many of them being people of color, are going to lose their jobs, and they're really trying to... Uh, distract from what's actually happening and portray the A's as the uh, the bad guys here. Uh, Caval, uh, to his credit, said um, that they'd still pursue this even if they weren't building there, which I think is a good point, is that regardless of the stadium, these environmental issues are still there. It's impacting people, so it needs to get fixed. So he put out... Um his statement in 16 parts of tweets. So a 16 part tweet and one that was like really caught my eye said, these materials are continuously left outside where they can leach into soil and groundwater blow off site and catch fire. These hashtag Stitzer fires have are well known at least six in the past 11 years, five since January of 2018, which is when you said they first notified them about doing something about it. And they, just completely ignored them. Many send dark blooms of smoke into the sky. Um, the I can read the Stitcher um, statement if you guys want. It's pretty um, in your face. Um, it's pretty. Just I'm gonna read part of it. The Oakland A's attack on the Department of Toxic Substances Control and Stitcher Steel is nothing more than an altercation or uh, acceleration of an A's efforts to dismantle the Port of Oakland and make room for their waterfront stadium and luxury housing development. The men and women that work at the port have been clear that the A's plan is incompatible with their work and will put risk many of the last high-paying blue-collar jobs held by the black residents in Oakland, just like you said, Mason. Suing the state agency that regulates industrial businesses in an attempt by the A's to distract from the lack of information and accountability they have demonstrated in their planning for a commercial real estate development at Working Waterfront. As a recycler that has been serving the Oakland community for 50 years, we are committed to reducing emissions, saving water, conserving energy, and reducing landfill usage. We invest significantly in raising industry standard 
for safety and sustainability, including more than 30 million in the industry, leading emissions control and environment projects in Oakland facility. <laughs> so that was clearly written by somebody that has their master's in PR. They didn't really address the issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're doing everything right, then bring on the litigation, right? The point of litigation is, I know, it gets a bad name, oh, you're suing somebody, but that's how change gets done here in the United States. And if you're not doing anything wrong, let the courts figure that out. I, I, so, like, this this alliance, this Oakland Stadium Alliance, East Oakland Stadium Alliance, that, like, came up to try and, like, go against the stadium being built at the port. Like, I, I just don't understand. Like, they're complaining that it's going to take away jobs from blue-collar workers. But it, the stadium is going to build jobs for blue-collar workers. Like, it's going to be put, bring around um, businesses that are going to be open, t- like, 365 days out of the year. It's going to be a lively nighttime area that's going to, like work that's not so like physically demanding and bad for your health that's the kind of my point on it um go ahead i think that's something as we're going into a very much more social conscience when it comes to climate change when you're seeing to kind of a, a bigger scale when you see uh coal jobs getting reduced and some of those people are now learning a new craftsmanship and working within clean energy nobody is saying or something that could happen is yes some of these people could potentially lose their jobs as blue collars, but doesn't mean that they can pick up the same trait with helping build the Coliseum or helping doing maintenance of the Coliseum and, or this new Howard Terminal Stadium and main learning some electrical work with their and working within the fields itself because yes, there are blue collar jobs there, but the potential of how many jobs could come out of the Howard Terminal Stadium and all the residency around it, it's something that East, West Oakland has needed for decades uh we've all grew up in the east bay in Antioch, and we know when we would take bar into san francisco never get our parents to tell us don't get out at west oakland because of how rough west oakland is yeah. and it was and unfortunately still is and it has been that way for a long time it, and you're seeing what's happening now with oakland with a lot of people who can't afford san francisco anymore are jumping over to oakland and it's starting to happen a little bit with West Oakland. You're starting to see things that were um, not as cleaned up are starting to happen, but now these people are getting displaced and they're kind of losing their gentrification. Job. This whole gentrification, yeah, unfortunately. Um, but if the stadium were to be built, you were to allow some of these people who've been living in West Oakland their whole lives have the opportunity where you don't need to have a craftsmanship op job to stay and working in the West Oakland area. You can work with an operation. It's like game day operations. You can work with the ticket sales. There's so many thousands of jobs that could be lined up, not just in the stadium, but within the residency or the, the complex, or whatever you want to call it themselves. Um, and it, we brought up earlier, West Oakland has had a history of bad health issues if you look through the demographics unfortunately majority or majority of the people who have lived there have been minorities and unfortunately they've had a long history of health issues we have a lot of people who had battled diabetes and now we're in this global pandemic and guess who's getting hit the hardest in oakland west oakland is yeah and a big part of these these people who probably had these conditions because of how like malpractice this plant was um, we also think about like for us, what's the 
the Chevron and Martinez and this is like a Chevron plant and all the time we knew that was that would catch fire and we would just like we got to stay inside this has happened five times for them in that time so that you mentioned yeah it's fucking wild um and and, and Cavill says in in this statement sorry Mason just real quick that um it affects 23,000 West Oakland residents within that mile radius of that of that plant um that they know of that they know of and I, I think this is the first of many converse, similar conversations we're going to have in the next year and a half or so. Uh, COVID delayed the environmental impact report that all major construction projects have to go through to get uh, approved. And within the environmental impact report, they have to discuss all um, how the project's going to impact the environment, including the population, traffic, schools, fire, endangered species, etc. And then they have to show with their response how they're going to mitigate those negative impacts. So I'm just hoping this is the first step by the A's that throughout the process they're going to be dedicated to maintaining that environmental equity that really hasn't been a priority for so many other uh, projects here in California. I, I think like my biggest question though about this entire thing is why are the A's doing this? That that's like what 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 is what is it that they get out of? Like why isn't the city of Oakland the one that's pursuing this more? Um, I guess it's another government agency, so that's probably why. But like, uh, are they trying to go show good faith to like the residents? Are they trying to show good faith to the city of Oakland? Does this affect the building of their stadium? Is it because it's so close to the Howard Terminal that it could potentially affect um, like their water supply or their just you know, just people, um, you know, visiting the ballpark and whatnot. And I mean, I'm, I'm just very curious about that. It sounds like from the fires, that's a big issue that he's afraid that fire will go off like in the middle of a game. And then, you know, they have to like, I don't know, but a, a couple things that, uh, what I, obviously there's probably something behind doors on why they're doing this. And I think that was the first thing we all thought of like, okay, what is Amelia doing for the A's? But if you look at the bigger picture of what this actually does, um, the team hashtag is rooted in Oakland and we've all been so pessimistic. We've been going through this new stadium talk for decades now. And this more or less proves to the fans, at least that they're doubling down on that statement Mm -hmm. that they're willing to say, I know people been saying they're going to leave the town. They're going to go to Portland. They're going to go to Vegas. I think them actually putting this at a higher scale shows that like we are invested in the city. This is our future. We want to be here. Whether it is at Howard Terminal or if we're going to remain at the Coliseum site, we care. We care about the city. And who knows? That could be the political statement behind it. Other thing that comes out of this is they're now... Chris, you mentioned how they brought up that NBC Bay Area brought had an interview about this before. had a segment about Amazing it. But now you. you're bringing this up to a bigger picture of it. If this come, Now that... If this doesn't fall through with the A's what makes us think that over the next few years our Senate and our governors our political system in California doesn't see that this is something that people really care about in the region because now they're sparking interest in the residents of Oakland who didn't know about this before yeah yeah I don't know exactly what their intent is Um, it might just be lip service I hope it's sincere Um, but you know even if it's not do the ends justify the means even if they're doing this for political capital 
it's still going to accomplish something that's good for the West Oakland residents. Yeah, I mean, all in all, it's great. I mean, and, and it's it's helping out, you know, residents of, of that area. It's but um, I just was very curious if it because I at first I thought this the lawsuit was to Stitzer Steel, not not the government agency. So I think that kind of changes my view. So when I heard that, I was like, I wonder what it is. I wonder if like maybe the city doesn't quite have the legal capital to pursue this lawsuit. Maybe the A's do, and they said, well, you know, we'll scratch your back if you scratch ours later, and we'll use the powers that be that we have. But but I don't, but after finding out that it's a government agency, I don't I don't think that's necessarily a thing. I think that this is an independently um, uh, put together project by the A's. Yeah. And if I understand the lawsuits just suing for compliance, I don't think there's a monetary benefit to the A's at all. Yeah, yeah. From what I read, there they, there's no benefit. There's no money or anything. It's just it's more just exposure and and holding them accountable and whatnot. You know, it'd be pretty cool if we were to get somebody who is like was from Oakland and is aware of this in the White House, and then like <laughs> maybe they could put into a bigger picture and slow these things down. I don't want to get into the Kamala Harris pick. I have my thoughts you know what? on it. No, Chris, 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 stick to sports. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll maybe stick to somebody that was sure born that in Berkeley. <laughs> She's great, San but Francisco she's, DA. She's, she wasn't my pick. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, cool. Stick to sports, Chris. Yeah, stick to sports for sure. I, I will. All right. That's fun talking. Yeah, about. Thank, thanks for coming on and talking about that, Mason. Um, yeah, definitely. Again, he, you, you know and understand a lot more about that stuff than we do. So, boys, it's towards the end of the episode, so let's, um, let's preview the coming week, shall we? Let's do it. So... Today was the final day, um, Wednesday the 12th, of the series against the Angels. Again, we dropped that series um, two games to one. Uh, we won today 8-4. to four. Um, But this weekend, we have, you know, it should be a little bit easier so we can maybe build our confidence back up. We got the Giants in a three-game series Friday at 6.45 p.m. Uh, Saturday at a 4.07 start time. I thought that was kind of weird. Uh, you think because it's a nationally That's televised the- game? Yeah, you mentioned earlier, but yeah. off air, but yeah, it's gonna be the game on Fox. That makes sense. I think that's probably why. And then Sunday at one one o five p.m. should be a breeze. They're not playing so well. Um, and then we jump into a four game series against the um, Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, two games away in Arizona, uh, six forty start time on Monday the seventeenth. Excuse me, three ten start time on um, Tuesday the eighteenth, and then uh, back home six forty. Start time at um, on Wednesday, and then uh, 6:40 start time again on um, Thursday. Um, yeah, I you know I I think I think we can expect a sweep out of the Giants. Maybe they can pull one out. I don't know if Cueto's pitching or not. If he is, that's something to be worried about. But then um, the Diamondbacks played pretty well this past week. I think we can go 3-1. Uh, maybe I'm just overconfident, but 2-2-3-1 two, two, I think seems pretty reasonable. Uh, the th- the thing about the the Giants, because again, Baybridge series. Even if the Giants are haven't been good or great, really, there this is only going to be competitive, especially with our friends and family. Yeah, definitely. Can hear those people. Yeah, uh, they've actually haven't been half bad. Like they're kind of playing above their. Like we thought for sure they were going to be a bottom feeder. Yeah. And they haven't been too bad. You got to give some credit where credit's due to the team. They're eight and twelve. Um, I mean, 
They play in the toughest division no. in baseball too, so like that's saying it's something that they are competing with at eight and twelve. Yeah, you have to give Gabe Kapler some credit where credit was due. The team's actually hasn't been as terrible as we thought they were. Um, Donovan Solano's really been great up in the in, in at second. Um, but for this, yeah, there's this shouldn't be a, an issue though. <laughs> after all this. You go ahead, Mason. <laughs> yeah, have you guys seen some of these boneheaded things the Giants manager has done? Um, please, please give me some examples. So I think it started with uh, him not warming up a guy. Uh, I think it was one of his first games. Like he didn't warm up one of his bullpen guys, and he was trying to get extra time. So they gave him some leniency. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on some of the other ones. I'll pull it up right now. Oh god! Oh, when he was with the Phillies, uh-huh. right? It's a he. He, he historically he... is kind of a, a weird dude when it comes to management. I think he thought that uh, if you like sunbathe naked, it'll in- increase your testosterone with the sun hitting <laughs> your junk. Gabe, uh, Gabe was the guy. He's look. He's been pretty. He's been very progressive about being a, the manager for the Giants. Uh, they they're. Honestly, they're making the team functional. And somebody we didn't bring up, Mike Ostrensky. He's been killing Yeah, it. he's on my fantasy team. It's been great. Um, uh, yeah, he's having a great year. He, I mean, he's 30 years old, so a lot of people are bringing that up lately that he's, you know, kind of like people are saying, like, he's the future of the team. And they're like, well, he's 30 years old. But, I mean, you know, he bounced around a little bit, but he's he's found his own, and he's, he's fucking playing really well. Um, he's, the, he's a building block for the future for them, so I think that's something to be happy about. Tan, shout out to Tanner Wilkerson real quick. He brought up a really great point when it came to Mike Ostrensky, which was Farhad Zahidi, uh, GM for the Giants, came from the Dodgers. Yeah. That's a specialty. Think about just who, who was Justin Turner before he the Dodgers That's picked him point. up. Who was Chris Taylor? Who was, take a big, god damn it, Max Muncy mm-hmm. before the Dodgers picked him yeah, up. Yeah, he finds that talent. Diamonds in the he, finds, he finds something yeah. in him and he, he utilizes it. Um, so uh, Frankie Montas faces uh johnny cueto that's a projected starter at least on friday so that should be interesting i'm glad that it's montas going up against cueto and not someone else um lizardo will play um gaussman on uh saturday uh, lizardo national tv Whew. i know that's gonna be fucking awesome that's nice. and then shamania nice. is gonna go up against webb on sunday so hopefully mania can bounce back we'll see did you uh, did you find it, Mason? The the list of uh, weird things yes, there was one. I haven't found a whole list, but there was one a couple weeks ago. They lost in the tenth inning uh, because he messed up, went to the mound twice, and there's a rule that they had to stay in longer. So is he just know. like high all the time? Like is he just smoking up in the <sighs> fucking dugout? I don't understand what's going on here. The, he, he's a character, I would say. Uh, <laughs> but like, it, you, if you know you're not good at the minutia. Get a guy that's just a, a rules expert to kind of be your yeah. advisor. I, you know, who uh, I was listening to, um, um, baseball barbecue the other day. You know who they brought up who would have been a great manager and also kind of nostalgic for the Giants? Dusty fucking uh, Baker. He would have been fucking great for them, and that would have been like so much fun for him to be back there. Um, I think he wanted to win. I think that's the reason why yeah. he came back. So he went with the Astros. But like him having to deal with all this bullshit, so not worth it. He could have just been sitting back, relaxing in San Francisco, 
fans would have loved him. It would have just been like a reunion tour. It would have been given. No. It would have given Crook and Kipe something to finally talk about on their broadcast. I forgot you're very anti Crook and Kipe. Not, I would not say I'm anti. I'm just not all about him like Giants fans claim that Sweet. they're like the greatest like duo of all time. Anyway, keep going. Um, um I look. I think Giants fans. Well, let me clarify this. Realistic Giants fans uh, are aware they weren't going anywhere this place. So yeah. why bring in somebody and Cespedes, like we're big fans of those guys, the Cespedes family barbecue. Yeah. Um, why bring in somebody who's older, who would want to win now, who's kind of an older generation of playing to this team where we don't know what the hell this team is. You got holdovers from the world series title. You have a, a 30 year old rookie. You don't really have guys coming up in the pipeline yet. I know everybody's still talking about Joey Bart, but he still hasn't showed up yet. So this is just a, a, a team in like a really weird spot. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, du- I feel like Dusty's a pretty um, uh, progressive older manager, though. He's kind of adapted to the analytics and stuff. But, yeah. All right, guys. Let's pick our uh, essential tool of the week for this coming week. Uh, Mason, you are the guest, so you can go first. All right. A little bit better prepared than this than doing a Lariano. But if he was going to play, that would be my, my pick. This one but, doesn't have an honorary name. It's just essential yes. tool. Essential so tool the essential tool for the week is Mark, can I get a bat flip? Ooh, I like that one. I think with Lariano being out, we need our boy to step up. He's going to get a lot of at-bats. His OPS last year was, uh, let's see, 9... 13 last year he's at 731 this year i'm not expecting him to get above 900 again but if he can get back to that 850 range i don't think they would miss lariano too much and again being kind of a spark plug in the lineup it seems like that confidence when he's uh when he's raking the rest of the team gets fired up as well so i think their outfield's going to be depleted if lariano serves his suspension I think he'll be crucial for the A's having a good week against inferior opponents. So I was really high on him last week, and we've been talking about him a lot because I've been so high on him all, all season because I feel like he's his average doesn't necessarily uh, – is not a telltale of, of his production this season. Um, so his, o, his OBP is now 385, um, but he had really good plate discipline the first three weeks. He had an OBP of 500. 500. So half the time he had in that bat, he got on base. That's fucking wild. Um, his OPS was in the nines earlier, but obviously it dropped a lot this week and his average too. But I like that pick. Good pick. All right, Julio. Uh, I I realize that all of our picks are probably going to be dependent on the Sloriano suspension. Yeah. That's going to be guys. So Mine definitely uh, is. I'm going to go with somebody who's slowly becoming like one of my favorite guys on the team, and that's Tony Kemp. Um, I like that Tony one too. Kemp actually over the last week he's been playing a lot more second base than we thought he would be playing uh, he's actually batted 286 too he doesn't have the power he gets on base he's got wheels he's kind of doing the little things that we need for him to do what's going to happen over this next week too even with uh, lineup trickerations whatever's going to be going on I think he's probably going to be in there every day because of the Loriana suspension where Pinder's going to be used a lot more in the outfield, and we're going to see guys like uh, Piscotti or Canna hitting DH while 
Crash is unfortunately regressing. So we're going to be a lot more dependent on him. Um, and something that I'm actually really happy that it's doing, we talked about earlier with the plus one uh, if initiative, and a lot of his teammates, have, even though this is his first year with the team, a lot of the guys have really bought into him so quickly to the fact that uh, one of my favorite things, he's become our walk-off celebration guy. Yeah, he's been... He's the been, first few... Yeah. yeah you go ahead, we talked about the Yeah, we talked about in the pre-show... Who's the first person running out there with the Gatorade bucket full of water? It's Tony Kent. Yeah, you can tell he's so just I having a blast imagine. and enjoying the guys, and the guys he's are loving blast. him too, yeah. yeah. And he's playing against his former team in where the team that is playing in Houston. Or, I'm sorry, following week. My mistake, got a little far ahead. Mm-hmm. But I don't expect anything huge, but if you're if he can – provide that same productivity where you batted 286 the week before if you can provide that for the bottom of the lineup especially when your two-hole hitter say if he's hitting nine and your two-hole hitter if Loriano is not going to be there and you have if you can start off that plug with any with in the middle of a game as their leadoff hitter of that set inning with Loriano or with uh assuming hitting two who knows I am. I'm excited for him. Yeah, I, I like that pick too. He's, and and Pinder's not playing so well. So um, <clears throat> you're right. I think Pinder's going to be. He had a great play. He had a great play last he night. He did. Though. He did. I think he's going to be the rest guy for the outfield moving forward if Loriano's out. Um, yeah, and it'll get speed on the bases for guys like when they get back to the top, like Simeon and 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 Loriano, or and won't be Loriano, but other guys to hit those guys in. So mine's going to be um, another guy who will be impacted by the Loriano suspension. Uh, Robbie Grossman, um, already playing really well um, this season. I've been really impressed with him. Hitting 311 right now. Just picked him up my fantasy team. Had a killer day. It's been great. Um, but he's been doing it all. He's been hitting it out of the park. He's been getting on base when he needs to. He always kind of seems to be the guy who starts the, the inning, uh, the offense in the inning. Um, playing good defense as he did last season. Um, uh, he also stealing a couple bases, which is pretty cool. But I think what's most important about him is someone's going to have to hit in that number two hole for Loriano, and I think he's the guy because he's hitting so well and consistently getting on base. So he moves runners up. Um, we need a guy who's gonna who's hitting good average right now to get those extra at-bats because the one and two hitters get more at-bats than anybody on the team throughout the game. So you want a guy who's going to be consistent in getting in there. Um, moves runners up. Gets on base. He's got some speed. You can use him to bring uh, – and you bring him in. Um, I think he's going to be really important So um, if the Loriano suspension happens. So um, I would say look out for him. And he's probably going to play 90% of the um, innings moving forward if, when Loriano's out. Loriano is out. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I sound like Stugatz over there for a second. Loreno, yeah, is that what they're saying? Loreno, um, yeah. yeah, but he's, he's hitting three eleven. I guess you can say uh, Amber's the color of his energy. Amber's color is energy. How about that? A <laughs> uh, hey, actually hypothetical, uh, because you're a big proponent on the two hole hitter should be your best hitter. Yeah, kind of thing. For this week, while Loreno is out, why not move Chapman to the two hole and then put. Grossman's actually hitting for some power where you can put him in the four hole. So I, I think that's probably what they're going to do. Um, no, probably Olsen at four, and then they'll put um, Grossman at three. But um, Grossman could hit two if we needed him to. I don't know, Mason, you look like you questioned that a little bit. No, I 
I need to be more forgiving with Grossman. He had a pretty ugly year last year, and I'm holding some of that, but I need to give him a clean slate. Um, and he, he's been killing it late, lately. Uh, how many home runs does he have in the last week? Was it three? Yeah. yeah uh, but I would do Chapman two. I would think I would do Olsen three, and then Canna four. Canna four. Grossman five, maybe. Or Piscotti five, Grossman six. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. He's just, he's, you got, you got to play the hot hitter, I feel like, and he's been hot lately. He's also in a contract year. So That's he's had point. something to play for. So it's probably why he's a big reason why he's playing this level. All right, boys. That'll do it for this week. Thank you so much, Mason, for coming on. We really appreciate it. Um, it's been a pleasure, Mason. Thank you. Uh, can't wait for 2021 to actually go to an Oakland A's tailgate. There you go. Thanks for being our first. Yeah, yeah, thanks for being our first guest. All right, so the game started. Let's uh, pack up the gear. Let's uh, put away the cornhole set and let's grab your last beer. Walk in to the game. Um, I'm actually gonna sneak them in this time. There you go. Um, thanks for tuning jacket. in, and we'll see you guys next week. And most of all, last but not least, Julio. Let's go, Oakland. Boom. The Town Tailgate is an independently produced podcast. It is executive produced and written by me, Chris Madrigal, and Julio Reynoso. It is produced by me. It is sound designed by me. The artwork and graphic design was done by Larry Madrigal, and the opening theme was composed, written, and produced by Larry Madrigal as well. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.